everybody, Will Howick here with the Roots Rednecks and Radicals radio show and podcast, and I got a special show for you. Today, I'm going to be talking to Michelle Malone, who has a new album out, came out a couple months ago, and it sounds fantastic. But before we get to that, I wanted to just do a quick reminder to uh, uh, give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook if you haven't already. I post all the shows that are coming up and, uh, you know, just information about the show and stuff that's, that's happening with everything, upcoming guests and all that kind of stuff. Also... We have a Patreon uh, for the show as well with a lot of uh, specials and extras and things like that. So head on over to Patreon and search up the show, and uh, uh, that's another way you can uh, support the show. Also, um, whatever you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or um, Stitcher or um, Amazon, I'm getting a lot of uh, listens on Amazon as well. Um, uh, Like and subscribe, uh, follow, whatever, you know, it's different on different platforms. Uh, But just take a second and go ahead and like the show on that. It really helps out the show uh, getting into um, uh, people's feeds and algorithms and stuff like that and uh, just like a helpful thing you could do for free and um, and I'll keep bringing you this this, uh, this free content so there you go um, uh, help me out in that sense but let's get to the show Michelle Malone has been a stalwart singer-songwriter for over 30 years now recording touring writing she's done it all her music pulls on influences from blues gospel country and folk her new album is called 1977 which is the year before I was born. And it's a great collection of songs that are reminiscent of the Laurel Canyon folk scene of the 1970s. We talked about the songs, the making of the album, and the songwriting process. I hope you dig it. Well, the, the most recent album is called 1977, and I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the album in general to start off. So, yeah, my new record, 1977, it's it's kind of a, it's both a departure and a return <laughs> for myself. You know, life goes in circles and cycles. So eventually I ended up where I began, which is a singer-songwriter record. And uh, it's acoustic-based with a band. Uh, when I say that, I guess I just mean I, I pretty much only play acoustic guitar on it but uh but there's a full band and and it surprises me that i wrote this record and recorded this record and because the one previous to it was kind of went to 11 and was more of a blues rock loud record and i always have elements of the singer songwriter thing going on but this one this one surprised me, and I, I was a little insecure about it because I didn't know if people uh, would respond positively to it because it was so different from my previous record. But I guess my fans have gotten used to um, my split personality, <laughs> and I just kind of go where the muse takes me. But um, I named it 1977 because that's the year I started playing guitar. And that's also one of my favorite years for music. You know, I, I, I really love 70s music and classic rock and, and all the singer-songwriters that came out of Laurel Canyon. So, you know, uh, I, I had been listening to a lot of that in 2020 just for comfort. You know, when, when things seem out of control and, and, and kind of scary, I personally look for things that are comforting and familiarity is one of those things. So I go back to listen to music that reminds me of a kinder time, you know. So I was listening to a lot of that stuff I grew up on, and I guess it just got on me. And <laughs> I made this record that sounds 
somewhat akin to that sound and era. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It definitely has some seventies vibes to it. How, um, what, what age were you when you first started playing guitar? Oh gosh. I think I was 10. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I got a kid. I got a guitar for my 13th birthday and I've been playing ever since. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great outlet, you know, but when you're a little kid, it's kind of hard to get into because you, you don't have the, the strength and the dexterity in your hands and fingers and God, the F chord like to kill me. Uh, I almost didn't make it. <laughs> and I, the guitar I started on was, um, you know, my, I started playing guitar because my brother had a classical Gibson guitar in his closet that his dad had given him. And nobody played it. And I kind of found it and messed with it. Well, then he left home shortly thereafter. He was older than me. And my stepdad had this old silver tone 12 string with a cracked neck and he had never changed the string so I essentially jumped from the easiest guitar to learn on to the hardest guitar to learn on I mean so I guess it it helped me somehow and right about now I wish I still had that guitar so I could get some of that back (laughs) it's such a um an exercise to play, you know, a 20 year old busted up 12 string. It's, it's an exercise but, uh, just to tune it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I knew how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Well, there's a, a lot of uh, introspective uh, songs on the album and you mentioned it, it has more of a singer songwriter kind of uh, feel to it. Um, and I was wondering if that was a conscious choice or did it just kind of happen that way? How, how did that work out? Well, what I think happened was I was at home, you know, we were all at home and I didn't have an audience and I didn't, I I wasn't getting any input per se from outside world or, and the, and the main inspiration I had was what I came with. Right. (laughs) So I just started writing songs about my family and, how I felt at the time and things like that. So, you know, always drawing on personal experience and it's, and there's no lack of that here. So usually it seems like I tour so much. A lot of my songs are inspired by outside circumstances and outside input and uh, being, uh, playing in loud bars, you know, and, and so I would play, write songs that lent themselves to that environment louder more upbeat songs and because i was home and and just strumming an acoustic guitar for the better part of a year you know i i just wrote on the acoustic guitar and wasn't thinking about having to play them in a bar you know i was just playing for myself so i think ultimately that's why the record is what it is and sounds the way it does yeah Definitely. Well, you, you mentioned uh, Laurel Canyon, and it definitely has these these '70s vibes to it. I was wondering, um, uh, what were what are who are some of the artists from that era that that you like um, uh, the best, and that you think kind of influenced the sound the most? Ah, well, for that, I'm going to have to take you back a little further and give you a little more history. For me personally, my mom is a singer, and I grew up watching her work in the six. I mean, in the '70s. 
and 80s. Uh, and she, in the 70s, she was in pop bands, and so she had to know the songs of the era. And uh, it was heavy on the Linda Ronstadt, heavy on whatever the hits were at the time, you know, all that stuff of the, the 70s. She did Linda, a lot of Linda Ronstadt because, you know, she was the queen of the airwaves then. And probably Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and... Um, Gosh, I remember her singing Bonnie Raitt and Nicolette Larson and Emilio Harris and, you know, literally whatever was top 40 in the early 70s. And then later, you know, it moved into more of a dance band thing. And then as she got older, she did more cocktail music and standards and classics and all that. But, but yeah, when I was a kid, she... She was heavily into that whole scene because that's what was popular. So I uh, absolutely adore Linda Ronstadt. She's one of my biggest influences. And it's ironic because she wasn't a songwriter or a guitarist. But I consider myself a singer first and foremost because I've been doing that ever since I can remember. And... And, you know, and then I found guitar, and then I started writing. So that's how I see myself in that order. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, one of the songs I really liked was the, the first track, Not Who I Used to Be. And I was wondering if you could talk about that one and uh, the writing of that one. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, that was one of the first songs I wrote for this album. And... I hesitate to say this because a lot of people think it's about um, the impact 2020 had on me, but I wrote it before we all felt the impact, honestly. I wrote it early in March of 2020 with my friend Elliot Bronson, who's a great singer-songwriter, and we write together a lot. Um, and so I honestly... It was just uh, me documenting the fact that, you know, I'm recognizing that I'm not only different, you know, physically, but I'm very different mentally and emotionally and spiritually in just about every way I can think of than I was, you know, three or four or five, ten years ago or prior to that. And it, it starts... It has started to really impact me in that, you know, I'm surprised at how different I am than I was uh, five or ten years ago. But it's a good change, you know. I think hopefully when we grow as we age, we are better people. And, and I just always strive to raise the bar on myself, whether it's, Writing or playing or just being a good human, <laughs> being a better um, daughter or, you know, sister or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. These, these last couple of years, I think, have um, forced a lot of change upon a lot of people, you know, and, and uh, adapting to, to the world and whatnot in all kinds of different ways. That's so true. And, and, and it was almost like foreshadowing because I'm even different more different because of the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that was coming. I didn't know. 
yeah. <laughs> uh, originally I wrote it, you know, about other times, but it has become about other current times as well. Is that vague? I mean, you know what I'm saying. No, yeah, I get you. I had no idea that I would keep changing at the speed of light. And here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's a good that's a good song, the mark of a good song is that it's it's general enough to that it can be applied to different situations, you know. So that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Thank you. Well I, I love that song. I love singing it. And you know, um you brought up well, I guess I brought up the whole Laurel Canyon thing, but <laughs> I as a side note uh, because I've always loved that music, uh, I've always wanted to start this cover band that does the Laurel Canyon songs. Mm. And I finally, because I was live streaming so much in 2020, I learned a bunch of those songs and I did a live stream of those songs. And I had such a good time. And I, I personally had never had a cover band. <laughs> I just started off as a singer-songwriter, which I guess is the hard way to do it. Which is kind of how I do everything, but um, at the end of n not who I used to be now live, mm -hmm. I tack on a Neil Young song because it's essentially the same darn song as Russ Never Sleeps. Huh. So we started at the end of uh, not who I used to be live. Sometimes we go into Russ Never Sleeps, which is really fun. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. Well, the, the song, even the queen has this really nice laid back feel to it. And I was wondering if you could talk about that one as well. Yeah. I, I was literally in the UK sitting by the tower of London, hmm. talking to a friend of mine about the queen and, and how, you know, my friend was saying, Oh, she has it made. She gets whatever she wants, whenever she wants. And I was just thinking that could get old real fast. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you would never have your anonymity or you can't go anywhere without people, you know, recognizing you and bothering you. So I just thought, well, even the queen has dreams and, ooh, she got all excited and said, you have to write that song. Hmm. So I called up my buddy, Elliot, and we started it right then and there. And we didn't finish it till later, but... But yeah, it was it's pretty literal. But later, I began to think of it as being applicable to just about anybody. There's the queen of their domain, or their home, or their office, or just anybody who has a dream for Pete's sake, you know. Yeah, for sure. That that term queen has become kind of ubiquitous lately, especially on social media. Mm. People using that like slay queen kind of stuff, you know. And so yeah, it kind of True. works in that way, you know. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes you mean things literally, but that's why I don't often like to talk about my song meanings because I, I really do think that it's best for people to interpret them the way they see them and the way they can apply it to their own lives without my having to define it for them. Right. I do find it funny, though, since I've been in interviewing um, artists about songs, it always surprises me when I 
I talked to him about a song, how there's this specific thing that they were talking about that's pretty obvious once you say it out loud, like you're in England and talking about the Queen and boom, there it is, you know. <laughs> it always it always cracks me up. I was just thinking this morning, I, I interviewed Southern Culture on the Skids, um, uh, I don't know, eight months ago or so, and, and uh, they had a song called Call Me, and the, it was about um, being bored, filling out forms online during the pandemic and wishing someone would call. And he was just like literally on his front porch, just like, I'm just bored right now. And that was the whole point of the song. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it hopefully, you know, hopefully it, when they start that way, like you said, they'll, they'll become multifaceted and maybe you can apply it to other things later down the road. You know? right. yeah, I just remember as a kid, as a teenager, there was a, an REM song that, or many REM songs that I had no clue, not only what, they meant but mostly what Michael was singing because he used to mumble so much so once I finally read somewhere the meaning of this song or that song I was kind of let down in a way because in my head I had made up this whole other story about it which I really enjoyed and then I got his version of it and it, and it was so different from mine so I've become a little shy about talking about all you know, the meanings uh, I had behind my songs. But, you know, you can still do with them what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, to me, it never, it, it always kind of enhances the song a little, you know, like now I have like two stories going with it. So hopefully, oh, hopefully it does that for people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was also interested in the story since we're talking about stories um, and hope hope you don't mind sharing, but the story behind Georgia Made, um, it was, it's fascinating to listen to and, um no, I'd, I'd like to hear the the, um, the the story behind the characters in that one. Well, Georgia Made is a song about grandfather. And I called him Pops. And he was born in this little town by our south of Atlanta called Alberton. And a couple years ago, I came to find out that my family had been down there literally for 300 years. And I had no idea, and um, and I had been told this story about how Pops grew up in this basically one-room country shack with his, I guess, five brothers and sisters and parents in this house, and, and I saw the house. It was still standing three or four years ago. It's not anymore, but it, it was nothing in the, in the middle of nowhere. And it, to be fair, it's still in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Alberton has one flashing red light. And, uh, you know, I, I just I found it fascinating that just uh, two generations ago, that's how my family lived. And then he had to quit school, and they were all farmers down there, or probably moonshiners further back in time. And... Uh, he literally picked cotton for one day and said, the heck with this. I went and caught the train to Atlanta, joined the Army, and went off to fight World War II. <laughs> I thought it was amazing that he would rather get shot at than, you know, work on a farm. But it, it speaks to not only how difficult cotton picking is, but <laughs> how an 18-year-old or 17-year-old, I don't know how old he was. He could have lied about his age. How romantic 
their notions are of going off to war, I think. But, you know, then he, he comes home and has this good life and buys a big house down in Atlanta and his family comes to see him and stay with him. And, I mean, it's almost like not rags to riches, but rags to middle class, you know. And for him, that that was a big deal, you know. So I was just thinking about how that must have felt to him and how I remember it. I, I'm old enough to where I remember his brothers and sisters coming to visit on the weekends and his mother, my great-grandmother, coming to stay with him. And my family had me when I was really young, so I knew all my great-grandparents, which hmm. what a gift that was, you know. Because I know plenty of people that didn't even know their grandparents. Mm-hmm. So I have this unique perspective of, of that. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, for sure. That's a beautiful song. Thank you. Yeah. Well, um, do you have any uh, new projects coming up this year? Are you working on anything? New new albums, new songs, touring, stuff like that? Um, well, uh, the tour is piecemealing together probably for the fall. I, I'm doing some one-offs mostly in the southeast right now. Um, I have a, <laughs> I have a Christmas band and I love Christmas music and I finally got to start this band about four or five years ago. Hotties. So I'll be making a Christmas record this year. And in the back of my mind, I want to start a new project of, um, I want to make kind of a pared down gospel blues record kind of thing. Not unlike, you know, Sister Rosa Tharp and that whole kind of era. I love that music, and I, I really love Mavis Staples and Mahalia Jackson and all that. So, and it's not like I'm can sing like they can, but I love the energy of it and the rawness of it. Did you see um, the the documentary that Questlove put out on Hulu? Oh, I think I saw that at the theater. It's a, it's that there was a music festival in 1969 in um in New York in Harlem. Yes. Yeah, and there's a there's a scene with with Mahalia Jackson and Mavis Staples where they're singing uh, Precious Lord and um oh my god. It it just kills you. I did see that and it was like she was passing the torch right then and there. Out in the summer heat and I I saw that in the theater and I was blown away. And the fact that it had sat in the can on the shelf for what, 50 years boggles the mind, much like the Beatles let it be. So I'm so grateful for all this documentation that we get to see nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Well, if uh, people want to know more about you, um, what's the best place to find you online? Oh, you can find me at michellemalone.com and, uh, gosh, more videos and press and info there than you even ever need or want to know. (laughs) Uh, All my records are available there for, you can buy them. Some of them are on vinyl. They're all on CD or you can download them there. And I, I will autograph things and get it for me and things like that. So, yeah, michellemalone.com is the best place to find me. Fantastic. All right. Well, the album sounds great, and I wish you the best of luck out there. Thanks for connecting with me today. 
Well, you're so kind. I appreciate your time, Will, and uh, thank you so much. All right. Well, thanks, Michelle, for connecting with me. Check her out online. And while you're at it, check me out as well on Instagram and Facebook. Give me a follow. And until next time, everybody, have a good one. Be